Welcome to the podcast, From Our Home to Yours, with Nancy Campbell, founder and publisher of Above Rubies. It's where we learn to forgive in that home. Hello, everyone. Well, tonight is Christmas Eve, so I'm sure you're having the most busy day, or... Perhaps you won't even get to listen to this today. Maybe you'll listen to it after Christmas. Well, I thought today we'd talk about Christmas celebrations and other celebrations. I know that some of you love to celebrate Christmas and others of you don't celebrate Christmas. Some of you celebrate Hanukkah. Well, let me tell you what I do. Well, what we do, of course. We're, as you know, we're one of these celebrating families. And so we love to celebrate everything. So we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Hanukkah. We do them both because they are both so very special. Now, first of all, about Christmas. Uh, We don't like to celebrate all the tinsel and the commercialness and the Santa Claus of Christmas. That's, That's not what Christmas is about at all. It's about the birth of Jesus. Now, of course, we all know that Jesus wasn't born at this time of the year. Um, it, it just doesn't even fit in with Scripture. It talks about it when the angels came to herald the birth of Jesus, uh, that the shepherds were out in their fields in the night. And uh, so it wasn't winter time back then. The shepherds would keep their sheep out on the fields from about April to October. But in the winter months, they brought them in because it was too cold. And sometimes it even snows in Jerusalem. And so uh, we know it wasn't at that time. Also, it was the time when Augustus sent out the decree for everyone to come and uh, to register. And they wouldn't do that in winter when it was so hard to travel and it wasn't safe. And so uh, from Scripture and uh, from the time frame of when the angel came to Zacharias and told him that he, uh, his wife would have a baby, and we work out the times, um, most scholars believe that Jesus would have been born about the end of September or early October during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. But of course, He obviously would have been conceived at this Christmas time. This is the time when we remember his immaculate and miraculous conception. When God sent his son into the world, into a womb of a virgin, And she conceived by the power and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. It was an an immaculate, of course, and miraculous event. 
and something I believe we can celebrate. It is so awe-inspiring. And I think that this miraculous conception of Jesus, how he who was God came to this earth as a seed in, in Mary's womb, I mean... It is just too much for us to even hardly think about. But he was, at that moment, he was God in eternity. And then he was God in the womb of Mary. And he was not just, like some people say today, a baby in the womb is just a clump of cells. No, he was the son of God, even at that moment, at the moment of conception, And uh, this truth reveals again that a baby is a living person the moment they are conceived. And so it is an incredible thing. And we love to celebrate his conception, his birth, and and, uh, we just love the carols. And I have sitting beside me today my wonderful husband, Colin and I have been married for over 56 years and uh, I just thought I'd get him on our podcast today and I'm talking away here but soon I'm going to get ask him a few things of how he feels about Christmas but we love to sing the carols you love to sing the carols don't you yes I do (laughs) I certainly do. Yes. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when you can go into shops. Well, it used to be that all the shops would have the Christmas carols playing. They don't so much now, unfortunately. But even though we know it wasn't the time when he was born, um, we can still celebrate it. I mean, we don't have to, we need to celebrate the birth of Jesus because it is such an amazing thing. And I love that scripture in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came and dwelt. The word is actually the word tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. And the word, this is what it means. Um, Let me see. I wrote it down for you somewhere. And yes, it means to tent, to encamp, to reside as God did in the tabernacle of old. It's a symbol of protection and communion. (coughs) And so just as God tabernacled in the Holy of Holies uh, back there in the wilderness. Now Jesus came. He came temporarily because he belonged to the eternal realm and he tabernacled for a while. He came in the tent of flesh. And uh, I I love some other translations, the Young's translation. Wow, it's Let's see where I've got it here. Um, I did write it down. Yes, here it is. And the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. Isn't that beautiful? That is the correct original word in the Greek. And we beheld his glory, glory as an only begotten of the Father, full 
of grace and truth. It's interesting that he would have been born at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when the Israelites remembered how they tabernacled in the wilderness and how even God tabernacled with them. I love that scripture back in 1 Chronicles 17, 22, when David was wanting to build a permanent temple for God. And God came to David and he said to him, David, I, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. God was prepared to dwell in this temporary tent. And it's interesting that Jesus came at that time of the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering that. And um, many believe that the true ultimate fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles will be maybe when Jesus will come at that time. Well, we don't know the day or the hour, and but some speculate that this could be the time that he will come um, and completely fulfill that feast. And of course, then we will be with him forever. And he uses the same word tabernacle again in Revelation 21.3. And John, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos was looking up into the heavens and he saw the new Jerusalem coming down. And, and verse 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle. And he will dwell. That's the same word tabernacle again, where it says Jesus came and dwelt with us. That same word. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that wonderful? We're remembering when Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, came to tabernacle with us. He is Emmanuel, Christ with us. He made himself one of us. Oh, goodness, we surely need to celebrate that. We don't need to celebrate all the tinsel and the commercialness, but we can celebrate his birth. Isn't that so beautiful? Anyway, I've got to ask my husband, what do you, what, what does Christmas mean to you, darling? Yes, well, it means a lot to me, actually. It was just a few years ago that I got a, a revelation um, about this time, and uh, I was just, I was driving down the road, and I, and I got to think about it, um, and it came across to me quite strongly, I believe it was from the Lord, too, um, concerning the great lesson of humility that there is in this Christmas season. Um, and it seems, it seemed, it really was profound to me that, of course, you know, we have the tinsel, as, as my dear wife was just talking about, and the commercialism of Christmas, and it puts people off. And, and that's fair enough. But, but from God's perspective, it's, um, it's a time of a tremendous lesson that he gave to mankind of how humble God is. And, and he displayed it in the, in the provision of his son, the, the son of God, who was the king of kings and lord of lords. 
and God, who is so high and is the highest of all, should humble himself and, and come to this earth in the way that he came. It's an incredible lesson of humility, and I think man needed that lesson. And I believe the entire world needed to, to see that God indeed believes in humility. It speaks about in the scriptures how he, he lifts up the humble and puts down the proud. And so it, I, I just thinking about Joseph and Mary, just how, how poor and humble they were. And, and Mary said in, the, in her song, The Magnific- Magnificent, she talked about when she prophesied in that, and she said, he hath put down the scattered the proud. He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. And she was obviously a very humble woman, perhaps the most humble, humblest of all women. Perhaps that's the reason why um, God chose her to be the mother of the Savior of the world, because of the incredible humility. He, when she said, he hath regarded the lowest state. And then she spoke about he hath put down the proud. He's rejected the pride, the prideful. And even in, amongst all the women of the world, who would be the one that would bring forth the Christ was the most humblest of all the women of the world at that, at that particular time. And I think it was God had planned it that way. And then, of course, Joseph himself was a poor man. He, wasn't, he didn't have a, a tremendous... Uh, although you know, I, I believe in, in builders, I think builders are incredible people, and uh, I wish I could build like some of the builders that I know. But um, in Israel, it was never regarded as a great career um, being a carpenter. But they spoke about Jesus when he spoke, when he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me; He's anointed me to preach," and so on. They said, "Is not this is not this Joseph the carpenter's son?" You know, they were kind of um, prideful about it and, and just thought there's no way that this could be the Christ. The carpenter's son should be the, the savior of the world. But it's interesting. And he was born, of course, in, in a very humble place, a place called Bethlehem, as we know. And uh, the scriptures prophesy about that and speak about it. Matthew 2, 5 and 6 says, And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, in other words, princes as far as cities are concerned, um, for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people. And that comes directly from Micah uh, in the Old Testament, chapter 5, verse 2, and it says, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of villages and cities of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from old. He's everlasting. He was there with God at the, before the world was created. And it says, and from everlasting. So he was the son of God. It, it just, it's profound to me, the, uh, the fact that God particularly chose such a humble place, uh, even the city itself, the humblest of all the towns of or the communities of Israel. I love it too. Mm. I think um, how amazing it was when the king of kings, uh, what he decided for his son. You know, if we just from our human standpoint, we would think that he would choose some uh, very important uh, man in the city. But no, when God chose Joseph, 
He chose him because he was a just man. And uh, he wasn't a rich man, but he was a just man. And uh, that is such an important part of parenting. Um, God didn't look for riches and for them to have everything. No, he just looked for humble hearts and for, for those who were walking in righteousness. And these things are far more important than just going after all these material things. And, you know, getting back to our families, we really, we, we don't have to have everything. I was just talking to someone recently, and uh, this person was brought up in beautiful, rich homes and had everything she ever wanted. But she said to me, you know, um, she's married now, and she said, but that's not what I want for us. She said, I just want to have love. I just want to have a marriage. Um, and actually, she was looking at Colin and I and saying, well, I just would love to have a marriage like you. And, um, you know, but you starting off her married life, she, she knew what was the most important and it's so true. And I think, too, of how, um, you know, some people think, oh, well, you know, you'd think God would choose a, a home where there was a room <coughs> for every child and they, you know, have a bedroom for each one. But no, Jesus, uh, you know, was later part of a big family. And yes, a poor family, not a rich family, but a rich family and children and family life, because there would have been at least seven in Jesus' family, or maybe more, because there was a time when um, a scripture where it talks about uh, his brothers, and it mentions the names of four brothers, including Jesus. That's five sons. Okay, there were five sons in the family and his sisters, plural. Now, that means it's a a minimum of two sisters, so that would be seven, but there could have been five sisters like there were five sons. There could have been ten in the family or more. We don't know, but it was a big family, and this is what God wanted. He wanted his son to be brought up in a loving family, the riches of family not life, not the riches of things. Things just didn't come into you know, Jesus coming into the world, even when he was older, he said, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. Isn't that true? It's true. And so, you know, celebrating Christmas, I think if we don't celebrate it, we could, we could well miss out on this incredible lesson of humility. And I know that probably a lot of people don't think about that, but when you think about giving gifts to one another, it's appropriate that we do give gifts to one another, but not to get taken up with that to the point where we miss the incredibleness of the greatest gift of all that was given when Jesus came down to this earth. God gave him as a gift for our salvation, which is a gift. And, uh, and I think we need, we need to realize that. Once I was traveling in Southeast Asia and in an Islamic country, it was in Malaysia, <clears throat> and there in the middle of Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of that, on Christmas Eve, they allowed the Islamic population permitted a nativity scene 
in the middle of that Islamic city, and I was thinking everything around was just Islam, Islam, Islam. But there, in the middle of the capital city, right in the square, of the, in the center of the city, was a wonderful, beautiful nativity scene. And I thought, how wonderful. I prayed that God would speak to the people about that. But where was <clears throat> Jesus born? It's a very interesting thing. We all know that he was born in a manger. But if we didn't have a Christmas time, we wouldn't probably be going over these um, beautiful things of Scripture. We wouldn't be thinking about the manger. We wouldn't be thinking about the humility of Christ if we didn't have it. And so he was born, and it says there was no room in the inn for him. And I think God planned it that way. I think God knew that before the world was ever created when he planned our salvation. And there was no room, no room in the inn. And that's tremendous humility that God permitted that his son would be born in such a poverty-type place. And I don't think God's necessarily against a beautiful home or a palace or something like that. He's not necessarily against that. But he really does want us to be, um, to be humble people. Though he was rich, the scripture says, yet for our sakes he became poor. And we need to remember that Christianity is, is couched in the whole, whole, um, whole atmosphere of, of, of poor in spirit, poor in heart, poor in attitude. And, and so I noticed too how it was the, the angels... That didn't come to the elite people of the city or yeah. the um, you know Pharisees yeah. and the Sadducees. He came to the shepherds. They were considered the most <clears throat> humble people, uh, and, and uh, just these Bedouin shepherds out there on the fields with their sheep. Yeah, you know, and uh, and Jesus came to them. It was to the humble, just people who were of no esteem that he put on this incredible display, this angelic display that filled the sky. And I, I think that if I was um, God, if I was king of kings and lord of lords, and I lived in heaven where the streets are paved with gold and the gates are made with beautiful and the foundations of the city are all amazing stones and the gates are pearls, I would have thought of something different for my only beloved son. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been so humble about his birth. I would have I would have wanted to have a big the biggest fanfare that heaven could provide for earth to confirm that this was my son. But that's not the way God thought. He wanted it to be very very humble and he was born in a in a in a manger in a who would have thought that God, the Son of God, God in the person of man, would come to be born in such a manger, in a place where cattle, horses, whatever, um, you know, that were traveling through that was close to the inn, was outside the inn, I guess, where there was no room for him there. And, uh, you know, it's such a tremendous thing. He was born in a manger, and that says the trough. In my margin, it says the, uh, where they fed the animals in a little trough. Um, so they, they, they took that, obviously, this, whatever that was in there and took it out, cleaned it out, and put straw in it or whatever, hay or whatever, and then that's where she laid the baby, the son of God. It's, it's just mind-boggling. 
Mm. And I noticed too that um, when it came for the dedication of Jesus, that they they didn't couldn't afford a lamb, mm-hmm. which was the usual to bring a lamb. Uh, instead, they just had to bring just for the poorer people they could bring a pair of turtle yeah, a, doves or yeah, two young pigeons. That's what it says, Leviticus twelve eight. If she is not able to bring a lamb, then she could bring either turtle doves, uh, a pair of turtle doves, or two two pigeons and they brought the turtle doves or the pigeons I'm not sure which ones they brought it doesn't say in scripture but they obviously didn't have the money to purchase a lamb so it's 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 really amazing and the other thing is um, <clears throat> did Jesus have his own house it seems like he didn't although he would have been born to uh, Mary and, and Joseph I'm sure they lived in a house somewhere but when, as it came to himself he, he never had any worldly possessions of his own he, did, he said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. When somebody said, I will follow you, wherever you go, I will follow you, and he reminded this scribe that he never had anything, and so that he could call his own. And who was invited to the birth? And as my dear wife has just said, it was not the elite of Israel. Where were, where was the king at the time of his birth? Where were the high priests? Where was all that? They were not there. It was the um, humble shepherds. God chose to be at the birth of his son, humble shepherds watching over their flocks by night. That was not a a career that that people would do that would be seen to be significant in Israel. It was probably the humblest of all careers. And then, of course, wise men did come from the east, but they weren't wise men from Israel. They came from an eastern country. Um, getting back to the she- the shepherds and the sheep, um, I, I just love this thought. One time I was watching this little children's movie about Christmas, and um, it, it showed the shepherds with the, with all their sheep going, uh, you know, to the place to find Jesus and. I thought that was amazing. When Jesus was born, he would have been surrounded not only by the shepherds, but by their sheep all around. Well, you know, it wasn't a place for animals anyway. And um, this because shepherds would not leave their sheep on their own uh, out in the fields for the the wild animals to come. That shepherds looked after their sheep at night, and and uh, usually they would put them in a fold, and and the shepherd would lie at the gate of the fold to protect them. They never left their sheep unattended. So isn't that amazing? All oh, the sheep, their sheep would have followed them, and. And they would have been around Jesus at his birth. Because, of course, he calls us his sheep, doesn't he? We're his lambs, we're his sheep, we're the sheep of his pasture. And they were there at his birth too. Yes. So the, so, so the angel, an angel came and spoke So how to, much more have you got? I want oh, to talk a, about just a something brief else thing, too. Just a little brief thing. The angel came and, uh, and spoke to the shepherds. And said, you know, you go to Jerusalem, you go to this to Bethlehem rather, and you will find the baby lying in a manger. And while this angel was speaking, then this is an interesting thing. Behold, it said there came a multitude, a multitude of angels 
and the whole sky would have been lit up with angels singing glory to God. They were, they bowed their hearts at. I think they would have the significance of such honor being given to humility. How God thinks so much more of humility than man could ever imagine. And I think that we have to understand that God looks at the humble. He lifts up the humble, puts down the proud. And here were these angels now saying, when the main angel said, go to Bethlehem, you will find in a manger, in a manger. And then it said, all of a sudden, all these angels burst out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Amen. So I've got to have time to just tell you what else we do at Christmas too. Um, well, we, we love to just think about the birth of Christ, but we also celebrate Hanukkah. Now, I know some of you already do this, but some of you may not heard of Hanukkah. And so let me just tell you a little bit about that. Actually, Hanukkah has already started because it started on the evening of Sunday night, the uh, 22nd, but you can still get in on it because we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. And what is this Hanukkah business? Well, it is a feast that is celebrated by um, the Jewish people, but it's a feast that Jesus also celebrated We read in John chapter 10 that Jesus went up to Jerusalem to uh, enjoy and to take part in the Feast of Dedication. Uh, Hanukkah has a few different names. It's called Hanukkah, and it's also called the Feast of Dedication. Well, that's what Hanukkah really means. In the Hebrew, uh, the word Hanuk means to dedicate. So Hanukkah means dedication. And why is it called the Feast of Dedication? Because it's the story of the brave Maccabees. Have you ever heard of the Maccabees? Oh, it's an amazing story. If you haven't heard about them, uh, you can just, you know, look up online and I'm sure you'll find so much information. But you can also go to the Apocrypha. Now, we know the Apocrypha, which is in quite a few Bibles, but it's not part of the canon of Scripture. Uh, the books in the Apocrypha were not chosen to be part of the, the pure canon of Scripture, but they are very interesting reading, and especially uh, the books of the Maccabees, because they tell this amazing story of what happened at that time. And back in uh, 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, he tried to completely uh, extinguish the Jewish people. And he was out to totally wipe them out. And uh, anyway, this family of Maccabees, just a family, they rose up in revolt against um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, they just began to war against him and they gathered more to them. And uh, God was with them in a mighty way. And eventually they were able to overtake him 
and to reclaim the temple because uh, Antiochus had already taken over the temple and it was in disarray and uh, uh, they say that he had even dedicated a a swine in the temple. It it was just so sacrilegious. um, But you can read amazing stories about these brave, incredible Maccabees um, in the books of Maccabees. And so when they eventually got back the temple, of course, it was overgrown. There was even shrubs growing in it and everything was just totally just wiped out. And all the glorious things in the holy place, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the menorah, they were just broken down. And the seven branched candlestick, the menorah, God had said it was to never go out, but it'd been out for a long time. And so when they got the temple back, they wanted to dedicate it and they wanted to light the menorah again. But uh, history and tradition says that they couldn't find enough light to keep the, the menorah going. They could only find enough light for one day. A- and then they had to make the new anointing oil according to uh, the scriptures, because this was a holy anointing oil, and it could couldn't be any old oil. It couldn't just throw in some olive oil. It had to be according to what God had prescribed. And so while they were making that, history says that the light miraculously kept going for the eight days until they had enough to keep lighting it every morning and every evening. And so that was the miracle of Hanukkah. And they rededicated the temple back to God. That would have been an amazing um, dedication. It's also called the Festival of Lights because it was the relighting of the menorah. And uh, the menorah in the holy place speaks of Uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, especially on the revelation of the Word of God, because opposite the menorah was the table of showbread, on which were the 12 loaves of bread. And this bread, the bread of his presence, the bread of faces, as it was often called, pointed to Christ. And uh, to looking at him and who he is. And it also spoke of Jesus as the bread and the word as the bread, which is our life. And uh, the, the menorah, the light shone down to bring revelation. And so it's also about the lighting. And so over this Hanukkah period, uh, we love to read the scriptures about the light um, in the Word of God. And I have uh, listed out scriptures for the eight days of Hanukkah, and they are wonderful. I have them under different headings for each day, like day one is God is the source of light and all the scriptures about that. Day two, Jesus is the light of the world. Day three, shine Jesus to the world. Day four, the word of God is our light and so on for the eight days. Now, if you uh, go to this link, you can Find these scriptures and print them off to read with your family. We read them for our morning and evening devotions during Hanukkah. 
And it's just https colon uh, dash dash tiny url.com Hanukkah scriptures. Now, if you can't remember that, just email me and I'll send you the link. And uh, also, I have uh, a daily post for uh, each of those eight days of Hanukkah. And I know you will enjoy that. And what we also do during one of the days of Hanukkah, we usually choose which one is the best. Uh, we will ha um, have a dedication meal because that's what it's all about. And back in the uh, time of the rededicating of the temple, it was the literal temple that they were rededicating. But God no longer lives in the temple. I mean, they no longer have a temple in Israel. In AD 70, uh, the temple was wiped out completely. And so now Christ comes to dwell in different temples. He comes to our temples, our bodies, and now the temples of the Holy Spirit. In fact, more than that, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, um, let's see, is it First Corinthians or is it 2nd? I'm not sure I'm, whether I wrote it down for you, but anyway, you'll find it there where it says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but that's actually not the right word. In the Greek, the word is naos, and it literally means the holy of holies. It wasn't just the tabernacle or just the temple. It was the holy of holies. And that scripture is saying, you, you and I, we are now the holy of holies where God wants to come and live and dwell with his Shekinah glory. Um, there is one of the translations of John 1.14 says, And the word became a human being, that's Jesus, and lived with us. And we saw his Shekinah, the Shekinah of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And now he's wanting to come and dwell in our Holy of Holies with his Shekinah glory. But somehow with life, we kind of get jaded and, uh, you know, maybe we're a bit like that temple that gets overgrown with weeds and junk and, and everything's broken down. And, and it's good to have a time when we can rededicate our temples to God and uh, we can uh, just rededicate again. Uh, and, and give our lives back to him. And so we like to do that, each one personally around the table. And then the Father can dedicate our whole family uh, to the Lord, to just renew our dedication to him. That's something lovely you may like to do over this Hanukkah period. And so um, just thought I'd tell you just about how we love to celebrate the birth of Jesus and we love to celebrate Hanukkah. And uh, you can find more about it. Uh, just email me for the link.
if you can't remember uh, the all what's in it. Okay, well, the Lord bless you today. Let's pray, shall we? Darling, I think you should come and pray. Okay, come back here to the microphone and pray for all these wonderful mothers and families. Yes, let's pray, shall we? We thank you, oh Lord God. We thank you for the tremendous display that you brought forth in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh God, that, Lord, we, when we honor you and that we seek to learn that and understand that message of humility and how, how you came in such a, a humble place, a, a little baby, so innocent, so unable to defend itself, but subject, Lord, to looking after of, of, of the mother and the father. And we, we thank you, O oh God, that, Lord, you planned such, this whole Christianity was based on this rock of humility. And we give you praise, and we thank you, O oh God. Bless all those that are celebrating Hanukkah as well, and let us all be lights and rededicate our temples afresh to you, just like they did back then. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.